In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. In the Gospel, the Pharisees tried to get the best of Jesus in a public debate. They didn't fare well, as is to be expected when one takes on the word made flesh. But apart from the substance of the debate, the Gospel illustrates a common human defense mechanism, using an intellectual argument to avoid a personal encounter with God and with oneself. Ironically, among all the first century Jewish groups, the Pharisees' theology most naturally led to Christian faith. St. Paul, the converted Pharisee, brought much of his former learning with him into the church. However, he saw his former faith in the new light of his encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. St. Paul's encounter with Jesus reoriented his faith around a relationship with a person. Before conversion, St. Paul saw himself as a zealous defender of the faith. After his conversion, he described himself as the chief of sinners. Seeing Christ caused Saul the Pharisee to see himself in a new way. Before conversion, St. Paul knew about God. After his conversion, St. Paul knew God. And knowing God, St. Paul then knew himself. The idea that zealous commitment to right religious belief and right religious practice can actually be a barrier to knowing God may sound strange. Theology is important. We certainly don't believe, believe that a, a commitment to wrong belief is a clearer way to know God. The distinction here is between mere cognitive knowledge, knowing about God, and experiential knowledge, knowing God. For example, you might read a biography about someone, and what you learn will give you information about the person. But if you have an opportunity to spend a week with that person, sharing meals, entering into the give and take of conversation, enjoying some common pleasures together, you will know that person in a new experiential way. The same phenomenon can be observed in the natural world. You can read about a famous mountain or a remote vacation spot. But if you actually climb the mountain or visit the spot, you will know that place in a deeper experiential way. Knowing about a person or a place can augment the experiential knowledge. However, the gospel presents a curious case of a group of people whose intellectual knowledge about God actually kept them from the experiential knowledge of God. The Pharisees studied the Torah and were committed to the Jewish tradition that conveyed knowledge of God, but God was standing right in front of them, and they did not know him. There was a divide between their cognitive understanding and their experiential knowledge. This is a danger for religious people, or really, it is a danger for every person's personal religion. 
our belief system develops to correct and defend against the errors we see in the world. But a subtle and dangerous shift can take place. We come to see ourselves as being free from all the faults of our enemies. We are on the right side and they are on the wrong side. And our system becomes a means of self-justification. We pray Psalm 143 with new vigor. Of thy goodness, slay mine enemies, because I am thy servant. And then we sit back like Jonah on the hill outside of Nineveh, waiting for God to torch our adversaries. It's instructive that Jesus' answer to the Pharisees focused on love. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to love God and to love your neighbor. The Pharisees knew that this was the right answer. That's why they didn't dispute it. But they did not know the love of God, and they did not love their neighbor in a way that fulfilled the commandments of the Torah. And this sums up the meaning of the Torah, what the Torah reveals in the light of Christ. We know what God calls us to do, but we haven't done it. This is what St. Paul learned on the road to Damascus. As he writes in Galatians, the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. We can memorize the commandments, the sins, and the virtues, and we can perform religious acts. What we can't do apart from the grace of forgiveness and the power of the Holy Spirit is to actually love God and love our neighbor and fulfill the law. This is why knowing God always begins with repentance. And this is why encounters with God in the Bible lead to repentance. Isaiah the prophet saw God in the temple. And in response he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Job spent a whole book pleading his case to God. But when God finally appeared to him, Job said, I have heard of you by the hearing of an ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Peter saw Jesus in a new way after the miraculous catch of fish. And this encounter is instructive particularly because Jesus still appeared to be an ordinary man standing on the shore. Jesus' power over nature in the miraculous catch revealed Jesus' true identity to Peter. And seeing Jesus caused Peter to see himself. And he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And we can compare this encounter with Jesus with the encounter of the Pharisees with Jesus in the gospel. They knew about God, but they did not yet know God or themselves. The Pharisees illustrate human nature. We develop our religion or our philosophy of life in ways that are self-justifying. We 
identify the enemy. And the enemy is them and not us because it is safer that way. If we acknowledge our own role in the disorder of the world, our own participation in the sin of Adam, then we have to get to work on ourselves. <clears throat> as long as our religion or philosophy can keep the enemy out there, we can keep ourselves free and safe from that experiential encounter with God that will require us to change. For example, we argue with someone, perhaps about the truth to some point of doctrine, and we find the person to be annoying because they just won't listen to the impeccable logic of our argument. Annoyance becomes anger and boils over into evil intent. But then Jesus said, inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. <clears throat> and we learn that it is easy to learn theology and moral commandments, easy to argue about them, but it is very hard to actually love. This confrontation with self is the essence of a life of faith rooted in an experiential relationship with God in Christ. When we truly see God, we see ourselves more clearly, and we are humbled and continually brought back to repentance and faith. And this is why our growth in repentance, our growth in understanding more clearly our subtle defects of motive and intention, is the primary evidence that we are growing in the knowledge of God. After Isaiah confessed his sin, a seraphim touched his lips with a hot coal that he brought from the altar of God and said to Isaiah, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. This is an enduring image of the cleansing we experience in the Eucharist. God reveals to us our disorder so that he can cleanse us and forgive us and so that we can begin to actually love. Christ is with us in this growing encounter with God and ourselves. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He is not afraid or ashamed of our sins or weaknesses and he will never leave us or abandon us. As Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.